0: Brought to you by GSK. If we map the genetics of a disease, could we change its course? At GSK, we know the information encoded in our genes provides vital knowledge, so we're working with partners to decode it. Using technology like an advanced search engine, we can spot the patterns that lead to diseases like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Because by identifying the patterns that cause disease, we hope to transform how patients are treated in the future. Two bits, 25 cents an hour. That is what the minimum wage paid back in 1938. That is 1 29th of what it pays today. And whether you're working a job to get through college or greeting customers at a superstore to make ends meet, at some point that minimum has been or is going to be your wage. And how well has that worked out for the economy, this 75-year experiment? Well, it should set up a good debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement, abolish the minimum wage. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. I will be moderating. We have four superbly qualified debaters who will be arguing for and against the motion, abolish the minimum wage. Our debate goes in three rounds, and then the audience votes to choose a winner, and only one side wins. Arguing first for the motion, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome James Dorn. And, James, you are the Cato Institute's President for Academic Affairs. You are also editor of the Cato Journal. Um, You have in the past referred to a potential minimum wage hike as, quote, a case of zombie economics. Uh, That's a phrase you borrowed from uh, Paul Krugman, who used it in an article. Uh, For audience members who are not familiar with your work, if Paul Krugman is at one end of the spectrum, where does that put you?
1: It puts me at the opposite end of the spectrum. I think uh, the minimum wage is zombie economics, All right. Thank you, James Dorn. And your partner is? My partner is the great rapper, Russ Roberts. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies
0: and gentlemen, Russell Roberts. (laughs) Russell, you are uh, also arguing for the motion, Abolish the Minimum Wage. You're a research fellow at the Hoover Institute and a former George Mason University economics professor. And the word rapper came up. In fact, you co-wrote and co-produced a rap song on economics that sounds something like this
2: boom 1929 the big crash we didn't bounce back economies in the trash persistent unemployment the result of sticky wages waiting for recovery that's outrageous wow (laughs) it's it's called fight of the century how many people have seen that well, we actually, with John Popola, we produced uh, two of them, two rap videos. And I want to make it clear on the record, I, I'm not singing in either one of them. Uh, and uh, 6.3 million people have viewed them on YouTube, or maybe a few less than that, because people claim they've seen it four or 500 times. So, You've gone viral, ladies and gentlemen, Russell Roberts. Our
0: motion is to abolish the minimum wage, and we have two debaters here to argue strenuously against it. First, let's welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Jared Bernstein. Jared, you're a senior fellow at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. You are former chief economist to Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, You are now known as one of the top progressive economists in Washington, D.C., but before you were an advisor to the Obama administration, you were on a different career path, one that informs your work today. Tell us what it is.
3: I was a social worker in New York City, and as I'll comment later throughout the discussion, that was uh, where I first learned how important the minimum wage is to low-income working families. Okay, thanks very much. And your partner is? My partner is uh, my old friend and uh, wonderful policy analyst, uh, Karen Kornblum. Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Cornblue.
0: <laughs> Karen, you are also arguing against the motion to abolish the minimum wage. Uh, you started your career as an economic analyst. You worked uh, actually with Alan Greenspan. You were also an ambassador to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Um, you got started in politics uh, working for a senator named Barack Obama. And uh, you were the uh, chief architect of the 2008 Democratic Party platform. Actually, I understand that you got your start in the public side of this based on something that your dad did?
4: Yes. Yeah, so My dad was uh, involved in local uh, politics in uh, New York City.
0: This was before Take Your Daughter to Work Day?
4: Yes, yes, yes. But I was very lucky he did take me uh, to work. I got to see a lot of Fascinating meetings and somehow decided <laughs> to go uh, into politics anyway.
0: The meetings were that fascinating?
4: That fascinating. <laughs>
0: All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Kornbluth. <laughs> On to round one opening statements from each team, each debater in turn. Our motion is abolish the minimum wage. And here to speak first for the motion, Russell Roberts. He is a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. He is host of the award-winning podcast Econ Talk and is a former professor of economics at George Mason University. Ladies and gentlemen, Russell Roberts.
2: We need to abolish the minimum wage. And there's only one argument that matters on this issue, and it's the moral argument. Does the minimum wage make the world a better place? Does it improve or hurt the lives of the poorest American families and the workers who are in those families? Now, those Americans with the least education and the lowest skill levels have struggled tremendously over the last three decades. They find themselves in competition with machines, computers, automation, with foreign workers. Their job opportunities have shrunk, but the minimum wage is the wrong way to help those people. It attacks the effects of economic change rather than doing anything about the underlying causes. And by doing so, it hurts the people that we're trying to help. You don't need a special theory of the labor market or a degree in economics to understand that making workers artificially more expensive makes it harder for them to find work. Ninety-five percent of workers who are paid the hourly wage, which is about 75 million Americans, 95 percent of those make more than the minimum wage already. And that includes my cleaning lady, who I pay over two times the minimum wage. Now, why do I do that? Because I'm an incredibly nice person. Well, that's what I like to think, but I really know better because I'm an economist. The reason I pay my cleaning lady almost $20 an hour is because if I don't, she doesn't show up. She has other alternatives that she will turn to if I don't meet her market wage. It is those alternatives that protect her from the greed of employers. And alternatives force employers to treat employees well. And most of us don't need legislation to protect us in the labor force. Now, many who support the minimum wage will argue that somehow you can raise wages artificially and there'll be no net effect on employment. But those artificially high wages, that boost in wage, discourages employers from hiring other workers who are low-skilled and have little experience. This is particularly tragic today when the unemployment rate among 16- to 24-year-olds is 16%, and for African-Americans, young African-Americans, it's over 29%. But who believes that employers don't respond to incentives to hire wages and try to find ways to save costs? That's why employers replace workers with machines. That's why they send factories overseas. And that's why manufacturing employment has been falling steadily in recent decades, not just as a proportion of the total, but in absolute numbers, because fewer and fewer low-skill workers who used to do those jobs – are needed to produce the goods that we still make in manufacturing. And by the way, the U.S. manufacturing sector in output terms is thriving, but in employment terms, it's struggling. And those are the places that people without a college degree used to find a good job. Those opportunities are shrinking. Others justify the minimum wage by saying the effects are small, the employment effects. Small, when you lose your job or can't find one, the effect isn't small. It's 100%. So it's nice to give 1.7 million young workers a raise. But what about the 3.4 million unemployed workers, 16 to 24, last month who can't find work? I don't accept that trade-off. That's a tragedy. I reject it. It's a bad bargain. The irony of the minimum wage is that it reduces the bargaining power of the people at the bottom end. It reduces the number of opportunities they have while increasing the number of people who are trying to find them. I beg you to consider – that the best intentions don't always lead to good results. Abolish the minimum wage. Let young people and the least skilled have a better chance of getting the experience they need to thrive and prosper. Thank you very much. Thank you, Russell Roberts.
0: Our motion is abolish the minimum wage, and now here to speak against this motion, Jared Bernstein. He is a senior fellow at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, also served as chief economist to Vice President Joe Biden and executive director of the White House Task Force on the Middle Class. Ladies and gentlemen, Jared Bernstein.
3: Let me start with my main point. Abolishing the minimum wage would be a terrible policy mistake that would needlessly hurt millions of low-wage workers, This policy is nowhere near the current agenda. In fact, as you've heard, the current debate asks whether the minimum wage should be increased. Now, it is true that during the Republican primary, Michelle Bachman and Herman Cain endorsed the idea. uh, But uh, that idea uh, of abolishing a policy that's been in place uh, since the 1930s helping low-wage workers is about as far out of the mainstream as you can get, and let me explain why. Now, this gray hair I have, I got through a lifetime, as was mentioned earlier, of, uh, of analyzing social and economic policies, beginning as a social worker in New York City uh, with the poor. And you know, over those decades, I focused on, on two things. What's gone wrong in our economy and which policies could help give less advantaged folks a shot? It's through that simple agenda that decades ago I became interested in minimum wage policy. As globalization, technological change, and a lot of other stuff that we can talk about throughout the evening have evolved, economic growth no longer reaches working families the way it used to. And the further you go down the pay scale, the less growth you're likely to see. The minimum wage partially helps offset that problem, and in fact, you will be hard-pressed to find a policy that does what it sets out to do, raising the pay of low-wage workers more effectively or more efficiently. And importantly, and this is what I stressed when I started, and we'll have lots of time to get into this, I hope, reams of high-quality research shows that it does so with the minimum of the type of side effects that you heard Russ emphasize. Consider this. Just start here with a little common-sense thought experiment. The American minimum wage, as you've heard, has been in place since 1938, 75 years ago. It has been raised 22 times. 19 states now have their own minimum wages above the federal level. If this policy was so damaging, how could it be that citizens and legislatures in 19 states decided not to abolish it but to raise it above the federal level? If it was anywhere near as damaging as our opponents claim, how could the minimum wage not only have survived this long but have flourished and expanded? The answer, once again, is because it's widely understood and accepted by mainstream economists, policymakers, and perhaps most importantly – low-wage workers themselves, who overwhelmingly support the policy, that's very important, I'll come back to that, as doing what it's supposed to do, steering a bit more of the economic uh, growth their way. Now, to do what our opponents advocate, to get rid of the minimum wage, would figuratively take the wage floor out from under millions of low-wage workers, many of whom depend on the minimum wage to support their families. It's very misleading to say that this is just a teenager's issue. It's not. Of literally thousands of estimates on the impact of the minimum wage on job impacts of affected workers, the vast majority find that the benefits to low-wage workers, the benefits to low-wage workers, exactly the opposite of what Russell claimed, far outweigh any costs in terms of reduced hours or job loss. So we have here a simple policy that for 75 years has been doing what it's designed to do with little fanfare and minimal, if any, negative side effects. Abolishing it makes absolutely no sense at all. Thank you.
0: I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion, Abolish the Minimum Wage. You have heard two of the opening statements, and now on to the third. Debating in support of the motion to abolish the minimum wage, the Vice President for Academic Affairs at the Cato Institute, editor of the Cato Journal, and professor of economics at Towson University. Ladies and gentlemen, James Dorn. Jared gave some
1: evidence. Uh, There was just a new study out uh, by David Newmark, uh, written for the NBER, National Bureau of Economic Research, one of the foremost uh, research organizations in the United States with top scholars. He refutes much of what Jared just said. Actually, the preponderance of evidence is in favor of the fact that the minimum wage does destroy jobs. Why? Why? Because if anybody believes in the law of demand, it means when prices go up, there's less of it that people buy. And nobody's ever disproven the law of demand, not even Jared. So I think we should keep that in mind. Hong Kong never had a minimum wage. I've been been visiting China since 1988, every year just about. Hong Kong started to develop and trade in 1938. It was just a bunch of shanties and everything. Hong Kong rose up to be one of the most prosperous places in the world without a minimum wage. So the minimum wage is neither necessary nor sufficient for prosperity. What prosperity requires is opportunities. The minimum wage destroys opportunities. I had a friend of mine, his his mother was working in a department store up in New Hampshire. Uh, She was making close to the minimum wage. The minimum wage went up. She lost her job. And she was denied the opportunity to go back and offer her labor services at the pre-minimum wage. That is the wage that she was agreeing to work at freely. The minimum wage interferes with individual freedom and economic freedom, and that's what's wrong with the minimum wage to a large extent. It reduces, doesn't increase workers' bargaining power because it makes it illegal for the worker to offer her labor services for less than the minimum, even though she's willing to do so because that's a better opportunity for her, and it makes it illegal for the employer to hire that worker. Also, it should be obvious that if you increase a wage rate above the going market wage rate, if it's only a little bit above, it's not going to have much of an effect. But if it's quite a bit above, as happened in New York State in the early 2000s, then it led to a about 20% decrease in the unemployment rate uh, in New York State for teenage workers aged about 16 to 24 without a high school diploma because it cut off the bottom rung for the ladder. They couldn't get in the market. There was a surplus. There's lots of jobs when the wage rate is lower. When it goes higher, there's fewer jobs. But many workers want to get those jobs at the minimum wage. The government promises people a minimum wage, but the politicians can't keep that promise because there's two sides to the market. And in the short run, there may not be much unemployment, but in the longer run, the employers will substitute skilled workers for unskilled workers. They might use a computer and have one worker rather than ten. Employers use temporary workers rather than full-time workers. They might make one worker do the job of four because, after all, there's a surplus of labor now. There's unemployed workers that are looking for these jobs so they can just, you know, lay somebody off and make the other workers work that much harder. The minimum wage also, by the way, does not reduce the poverty rate because, remember, the law, what does it do? It increases the wage rate, but if you don't get a job, your income is zero. So we found that The people that this affects are low-skilled workers in low-income families, and that's why the poverty rate is affected.
0: James Dorn, I'm sorry, your time is up. Thank you very much. Our motion is abolish the minimum wage, and our final speaker here to speak against the motion to abolish the minimum wage, Karen Kornblu. She is the former U.S. Ambassador to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development and former Policy Director for then-Senator Barack Obama. Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Kornblu.
4: Thank you, John. Um, I want to return to the moral question that we started with because the moral question is all on our side. What I want you to understand is that roughly one quarter of all children in the United States, more than 17 million children, have a parent earning the minimum wage or just above. Another way to think about this, only w- almost one of three of those who benefit from the minimum wage, so they're just at the minimum wage or they're just above it, and so they're, we think that their wages are bumped up because of the minimum wage, our parents, one in three. That means today a family with two kids that earns the minimum wage because of the low level of our minimum wage is still living below the poverty line at today's level of the minimum wage. These families, as Jared and I have actually studied, uh, work more and more hours and yet still have to make terrible choices every day. They have to choose, do I pay for childcare or leave my little child alone? Can I afford health care? Can I afford to put anything aside in case I lose a job? What our opponents are asking is to get rid of the minimum wage that keeps those families barely afloat today. How can they even consider that? Uh, I want to think beyond that family and what the implications of pulling out the rug under them would mean for the rest of us. Social mobility in the U.S. The U.S. uh, used to be the home where if you were born into a poor family, you could make good. That's less and less true. The American dream is under more and more threat. We're behind every country. This is OECD data. We're behind every country except the U.K. now in terms of social mobility. We're behind France. Uh, Inequality, closely related to social mobility. Inequality is uh, approaching record levels. We think that half of the uh, increase in inequality is a result of the following minimum wage. Then there's the issue of our economic recovery, our fragile economic recovery, If the minimum wage, if abolishing the minimum wage had any effect at all, it would surely take money out of the economy. In fact, it would act as a reverse stimulus. Uh, I'd like to bring up women. Over half of those who earn the minimum wage are women. And these women obviously already face disadvantages. If you look at the data, women are poorer than men at every age. And in old age, the gap is tremendous because of uh, the low wages that they earn. If we eliminate the minimum wage, this will especially hurt women. Yeah. Now, can we afford the minimum wage? It's a big question. Yes, absolutely we can afford the minimum wage. Uh, the wealthiest Americans are doing extremely well. Corporate profitability is growing. As we know, the stock market just broke new records. But the families at the bottom end are not sharing in this increasing economic growth. We can afford to let them share a little bit of that. Uh, I just, I just want you to think about the maid who makes your bed in the hotel when you're out of town, the person who serves you that salad when you go to the fast food restaurant at uh, lunchtime. Most of these people do not earn enough today to feed themselves, house their kids, uh, and take care of their families. The moral argument is absolutely on our side. Do not pull the rug out of low-income families. Please vote no on abolishing the minimum wage. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Karen Kornbluth. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. Debate where our motion is abolish the minimum wage. Now we go on to round two, and that's where the debaters address each other directly and take questions from me and from you in our live audience here in Washington, D.C. We have two teams of two arguing for and against abolishing the minimum wage. The side arguing for the motion, Russell Roberts and James Dorn, have said that uh, the minimum wage actually should be abolished. It should be abolished actually because it hurts the people that is trying to help, that it makes workers artificially more expensive and that that is something that kills jobs. The team arguing against abolishing the minimum wage, in fact, they're saying that it should be raised, say that few policies have worked better uh, as designed over 75 years than this one, and they say they're making the moral argument that to abolish the minimum wage would pull the rug out from under millions of American families who are depending on it. I want to put a question to the side that is arguing to abolish the minimum wage in terms of impact. If the minimum wage were abolished today, effective tomorrow, what do you think would happen? How many people would see their wages go down drastically and immediately?
2: Well, we we can't answer that precisely. I I certainly wouldn't uh, abolish it tomorrow. I'd want to phase it out. But as I said earlier, about 3.5 million workers today earn the minimum wage or less. But it's about three and a half million workers. So some of those would have lower wages. And the real question is, is what else would employers do? What else would happen in the workplace – if uh, workers uh, didn't have to be paid a legal minimum. And I think there would be a lot more opportunity for those 3.4 million unemployed 16- to 24-year-olds that have had the rug pulled out from under them because we have a policy in place that makes them expensive. And I think that's a terrible mistake.
0: Russell, in the in the very short term, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to hone in on the point that Karen Cornbleau is making that she says it would pull the rug out from people who depend on it now is that, is that accurate? Do you think that – I think you're talking about a longer-term process where employers adjust, but in the short term, would a lot of people be hurt very quickly?
2: Well, I don't know. I think some employers would take advantage of the change in the law to lower wages. The question is what's the right way to help people who have low skills or who are struggling for all kinds of reasons, many of which are not their fault? We ought to fix our school system instead of trying to help people through this artificial method. If the artificial method worked, be, it would be great – all right,
3: Jared Bernstein. Yeah, I want to respond to that. First of all, I, I think we, we have a disagreement about the numbers. 3.5 million hourly paid workers. That's correct. Correct. Okay, so you're leaving out at least 2 million salaried workers. Uh, salaried workers are not exempt from the minimum wage, so, so, so that number is wrong. Look, Russ is a friend of mine. I like Russ.
0: <laughs> but. So we got the whole ad hominem thing worked out. You knew there was a Right away. Okay. No, I,
3: I like Russ a lot. Um, uh, but. I am am aghast to hear Russ say, how many people would this hurt? Who would this hurt? How would it hurt them? I don't know. That's what he just said. I don't know. You cannot, in good faith, in this economy, in any economy, talk about abolishing the minimum wage uh, and not know what its impact are, are going to be. That's way, way too reckless. Now, the idea that workers are hurt by this the way Russ and Jim have argued, is belied by research that looks very carefully at changes in minimum wages across different economies and different groups. You can't just say um, black unemployment is high and we have minimum wages, therefore high minimum wages cause high black unemployment. Because we've had a period when we've raised the minimum wages in the 1990s, black unemployment came way down. So I'm not saying that it came way down because we had a higher minimum wage. I'm saying there are a lot of moving parts and the best research compares uh, the impact of the minimum wage controlling for those moving parts and that's
2: what we've been citing. Can I respond to my friend?
0: Uh, Let me have a (laughs) Let me bring in James Dorn, and then you guys can be friends later.
2: (laughs)
1: Yeah, two points. Uh, If there's an excess supply of labor, low-skilled labor, and they can't get jobs, yeah, the minimum wage will come down, but the competition will be among the workers. Workers that have lower-valued alternatives, they can't get a job at the minimum wage. They will now have an opportunity to get a job. I think that's a very important point. Their wages will not stay low forever. Most of these workers are young. They will be in. They will get good work habits. They will learn things. The employers will eventually pay them more as their productivity
0: goes up. You don't want to put the cart before the horse. I want to take the, the point that I think you're making to Karen Cornblow, and, and, and your opponents are basically saying that the people who are making the minimum wage would rather be making the minimum wage than less. They acknowledge, I think, uh, uh, Russell, um, acknowledge that some people would be hurt immediately in their pocketbooks. But they're also saying that lots of people are not on the minimum wage. They're not working. And I want to have you respond to that piece of their
4: argument. Thank you, John, because um, I, I made the moral argument, but I think it's really important to get the economic argument right. And I think the economic argument sounds like it's on their side, but it's absolutely not. I like them both very much as well, <laughs> but I think good economics says uh, that you have to make sure that you're not ju- that you're actually looking at causality and that you're taking account of all of the variables. And what the uh, economic studies really show is that there are a lot of other things that affect unemployment, and uh, and it's just overly simplistic but I'm, 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 analysis I'm actually, to say uh, that it that that the minimum wage actually. Um, Produces unemployment, even but in I'm actually
0: bringing to you a different part of their okay. argument, which is not the part of the argument where they're saying that it reduces employment. It's the part of their argument where they're saying it does
4: no good for people who are not employed. I think what we need to focus on, though, for those people, and they've said it again and again, and I absolutely agree, and we can all go out agreeing on this, is we need to improve our education system. We need to get access to vocational education. We need to get access to higher education. That's what you need in the knowledge economy, and so I think we all agree on what we need to do for those people. Russell Roberts.
2: Yeah, uh, I want to say something general about the empirical literature on the minimum wage. There have been uh, hundreds of studies uh, done on both sides. Uh, actually, hundreds have found that the minimum wage reduces employment. That was the consensus among economists until the Carton-Kruger study in the 1990s. And that consensus has shifted somewhat. Now there are many economists who think that the effects are either small or minimal – Again, I would emphasize that small to me does not mean it's irrelevant. It's small, small is still people's lives. But the point is that, that both – uh, think-
0: Just to clarify, does that mean you're conceding their point on the trends of the study now?
2: Oh, no. The trend is definitely – there are definitely studies in respected journals that show little effect of the minimum wage on employment. And there are just as many studies on the other side saying, no, those studies are wrong. There's a big ideological gap between these two sides that we should be honest about because if the studies were great – they would win. They would convince people. But the reason they don't convince people is that the world is a complicated place, as both Karen and Jared have said. So a lot of things going on at once, and it's really hard to hold things constant. It gets a lot harder when the minimum wage affects a relatively small part of the population.
3: I think that's a very fair assessment of the literature. Uh, the, the other side keeps citing the work of David Newmark. I think David Newmark he, – you he got sort of – has everybody
0: read the David Newmark? No, no. <laughs> and the hundreds I, I, of studies.
3: So, so you've got, you know, the, I, I thought Russ described it well. You've got the Kruger and Card and a lot of other studies that show, you know, zero or slightly positive. David Newmark and others show slightly negative. Now, I, I recently corresponded with Newmark about this because we did a study at the Center on Budget. We're doing a study. And we said, David, what. What should we plug in to accurately represent the job loss effects that you and and our opposition believe occur? Because we want to be fair. Um, And and he said a a 10% increase in the minimum wage will lead to a 1% decline in the employment of of teenage workers. Now, if that occurs, that means that 99% of affected workers get a pay raise, Now, our opponents have consistently said if 1% uh, loses a a job or loses hours of work, yet somehow 99% get a raise, it's a bad deal. That's just economically a very misleading way to see it. Let's hear from Jim Dorn. Most of these studies look at the short run, what happens in
1: a very short period of time, and there's mostly modest increases in minimum wage. That would lead to modest decreases in employment. But if you look at the long run, longer period of time where businesses – that are just making marginal profits uh, and they can't increase prices much, they're going to cut back on low-skilled workers. And all workers aren't the same. All teenagers aren't the same. Some are have better work ethics and so forth. So these are the workers that are going to be retained and other workers are going to lose their jobs. This is the thing that I just like about the minimum wage. It puts government in between the employer and the worker. Uh, it politicizes the decision about employment, instead of letting the worker who knows his or her alternatives best come in and negotiate. Now, they might say the worker has no bargaining power. If that were were true, you could pay the worker anything you wanted, but if you pay workers too low,
0: you see help-wanted signs. The part of your argument I want to take to the other side, and to use the phrase that his partner used, if you artificially make workers more expensive then employers are going to adjust by not hiring them. That is a coherent, logical argument. And I I
3: haven't heard you respond just to the logic of that argument. That's a great question. Uh, it has to be empirically tested. You can't, in economics, this is not, this is not science. Uh, this is social science. It's different. And the tests that have been applied have been, um, I think, very careful pseudo-experimental kinds of tests where a, a, as much as you can is held constant. And what those tests find is that you don't get the results that uh, Jim and Russ have predicted. So you have to ask yourself, what else is going on? And the, the other things that are going on are what I call the three Ps, uh, prices, prices. Productivity and profits. Okay? Profits are Uh, redistributed somewhat uh, when minimum wages go up to low-wage workers. I think that's a good thing given the trends that Karen decide. A very interesting and very positive impact is that you find that in the low-wage labor market, a a part of the economy that's fraught with turnover and vacancies, that goes down significantly. So productivity helps absorb some of the uh, increase as well. And there's some price effects too. Uh, But
0: my, my question that I put to the other side, the day after the minimum wage is abolished, what happens to the workers who are making minimum wage now? They keep their jobs. They make less money. That's what you see happening? Yeah.
2: Russ Roberts. I want to ask you to do the following experiment. If you decided to quit your job, but you didn't like your job, you were bored, you wanted to try something else, and now you're going to go out in the workplace and find a new job. But the government passes a law that for you to be, when you go to your new job, your new employer has to pay you, say, let's make a small, relatively small number, 20% more than your current job. That's the law. And my question is to my opponents, do you think that would make it harder for you to find work? Would you be excited about that? I think he'd be scared. I would be. I'm John Donvan, and you're
0: listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at IQ2US.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. We're in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing out this motion, abolish the minimum wage. Jim Dorn.
1: I want to come back to this moral argument because I think it's an important point. And the question is whether individuals should be free to choose uh, to make themselves better off as they see it or whether the government should mandate a wage rate which may put you out of a job If the government says the employer has to pay you $9 an hour and you're only producing $5 an hour, you're going to lose your job. Now, why is the worker getting $5 an hour? Because he or she doesn't have very many good alternatives. They don't have much education. So the real way, you want to increase their income. How do you increase their real income over time? They have to have a better education. They have to have work habits. They don't get any work experience if they can't find a job, and people do lose their
3: jobs. There's lots of evidence on this. So let me, let me, um, let me respond. Uh, imagine a poll that asks a bunch of low-wage workers, would you support abolishing the minimum wage? Okay? Okay. <laughs> Do that little thought experiment and see if that interferes with workers' freedom. In fact, 90% of Americans earning less than $24,000 a year support raising the minimum wage. So go ask them about abolishing it and see what they say about their freedom to choose.
1: Well, ask this lady that lost her job
3: in New Hampshire. Okay, now listen, Jim, if you're going to find one case of one person who loses their job and say we should abolish the minimum wage, you're nuts.
0: Russell Roberts. And oh, actually, Jim, you were the one who was called nuts. Do you want to –
3: I'll let Jim go first. Yeah. All right, Jim, you can well, go first. I
1: don't believe in ad hominem tax. Obviously, it's an example. It's, it's something other than just a raw statistic. It's a human being. People should be free to choose. That's, that's, it's a free country. The government shouldn't be involved in this. It's okay,
2: as I, if, I'm if the go to Russell. wasn't involved Jim, in Jim, I'm only it, interrupting because you have made that point, and, yeah, and okay. I want to let Russell. So I think, again, ask – Jared makes a great point. Most minimum wage workers think it's a good thing. They won't if they lose their jobs, though. They're not experts in economics. They're not experts on thinking about how their businesses might respond. So, again, I would make the point the minimum wage right now is fairly small and not as harmful as it would be if we raised it, for example. So we, that is true. It's fairly small. But it's not very, small for the people whose lives are affected. Karen,
0: very quickly because I want to go to questions. So, Karen. OK.
4: So I just – sorry, Russ, but you did just undermine your point completely. Great. Because her- you just said that the current minimum wage is not creating problems. Your position is to abolish the minimum wage. I just think that we have to be really, really careful. Um, I think if we know that at our current low minimum wage, we are not causing problems, why on earth because of some abstract notions or some theory about economics that's not proven in the empirical literature – do We want to subject low-income families to an experiment of throwing out minimum wage, which is a support for them and their families. Because
2: every worker who earns, who is pro- whose productivity is under seven twenty-five dollars an hour okay. right now is having a very difficult time making their way in the world, so, especially young workers. So that gets to the heart of the uh,
3: theory where I think Russ and Jim go wrong. What you just heard from Russ is a standard econ 101 theory, which is workers are paid their marginal product. They're paid what they contribute to their firm's value at the margin. Now, if you believe that, um, you know very little about the the actual labor market. Let's go to Uh, some questions. Hi. I'm a business owner in Washington, D.C., where the minimum wage is $8.25 an hour. And I love the idea of worker freedom. When I think of one of my workers living in Washington, D.C. on roughly $16,000 a year, if they didn't take much in vacation, they'd have the freedom to choose, say, between rent or food or you know, maybe health care, if we don't pay our workers a living wage, then what we're asking is for the rest of the population to subsidize our businesses to bring those people up to a level where they can survive.
2: You mean, yeah. Uh, okay. The living wage isn't by the taxpayer. I, th- I think it's usually a proposal to just have a higher minimum wage that would be able to support a family more easily. W- what kind of business do you have? I'll repeat it for the, those who, because you don't have the mic. You have a consulting business, and your workers are paid – you said you have some that are paid $8.25 an hour? No, I said that's the minimum wage in Washington. So none of your workers are in the minimum wage? No. No. There are some who do, though, and that's very hard on them, and that's no doubt about it. Uh, right now, there's a proposal with the City Council of Washington to uh, increase the, the minimum wage for special stores that have large footprints. Uh, this would be stores like uh, Costco and Home Depot and uh, Super Walmart. Uh, There are very few of those in Washington, D.C., but they want to raise it to 11 something an hour. The Washington Post came out the other day and said that's a horrible idea because Costco will leave. And the Washington Post thinks that's a bad idea. I do too.
0: Jared Bernstein.
2: these are
3: empirical questions. If I, if, I, if I communicate nothing to you tonight, uh, th- that, that would be the thing that I'd, I'd, want, I'd want to leave you with. You, you can't make the assumptions that our opposition does. Uh, I do think the questioner gets into a very important point that we haven't touched on yet. If you abolish the minimum wage and it falls a lot, you will collect fewer payroll taxes – you will have to pay more in food stamps. You will have to pay more in unemployment insurance. You will have to pay more in welfare benefits. And, and it is very much a transfer of the burden of poverty to the taxpayer in ways that minimum wages and living wages help to mitigate. Right down front here. If, I know we're on radio,
1: but if you could imagine a graph that shows <laughs> the distribution of what wages would be without a minimum wage – my guess would be that the seven or eight dollar minimum wage is close to the low end, and that most people would would make more than that in the absence of a minimum wage. Do, do, do both sides believe, believe that's the case so that we're at a level where it's kind of irrelevant whether it's there or, or not, and that if it were much higher, if it were $20 an hour or $25 an hour, would we actually be at a point where, that, where it's relevant so, and abolishing it or not would make a difference? So is
0: your question this? Are we at a level at the current minimum wage of $7.25 an hour that is so low – that abolishing the minimum wage would not actually affect well, what I'm most saying people are that making. it would have no effect, but it has minimal Little. effect, right, uh,
1: because it's close to where the, the minimum would, would be, and so it
0: may have oh, no effect. All right, let me go to Russell. Well, do uh, you want to go first, just, Karen Just a real
4: quick thing. We think that the, that the minimum wage also affects those who earn just above the minimum wage, that it props up wages just just above. So if you look at the people who earn at the minimum wage or just above, we have one quarter of all children in the U.S., more than 17 million kids, who have a parent who earns at the minimum wage, or just above who we think would be affected.
1: One more question. Hi, my name is Charlie Edelman. Risking oversimplification... That's
0: our mission here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It seems to me that the side arguing for the motion is arguing in favor of workers' individual freedom, and the side arguing against is arguing for government protection. What elements of the minimum wage debate isolate it from arguments against hours working on the job versus overtime, health care benefits. You know, what elements of this debate make it unique compared to other labor versus business
0: arguments? That's a really good question. That's really good. In other words, are we just having the same old argument over and over again? Is this just libertarian versus um, uh, progressive government argument, or is there something else going on in terms of the minimum wage? Is that what you're saying? Exactly. All right. Who would like to take that on first? Uh, James Dorn.
1: Well, with the minimum wage there are only so many jobs to go around. So old lump of labor fallacy, since the wage rate's not allowed to go down if there's a surplus. And the employers have a lot more power then to dictate certain things to workers. They would have m- more flexibility and more freedom for both the employers and the workers if you got rid of the minimum wage. And I think if you got rid of it, the wage rate wouldn't change that much because we're pretty close to the where, where the market clearing wage rate would be. That's, that's why politicians don't have large increases in the minimum wage. They can get the political brownie points of feel-good policy where most people think that the minimum wage is a good thing when they have increased it by a lot. For example, in New York State, the study that was done I pointed to earlier, it led to a fairly significant decrease in employment. It is also the empirical evidence. It's just not common sense. There's a lot of empirical evidence on our side of the argument. So I I think uh, Jared is uh, unfair to mention that. He doesn't mention anything about this most recent NBER study, which is much more sophisticated than the John Smith study that they like to cite.
0: Jared Bernstein, the guy you called nuts just said you're unfair.
3: Um, (laughs) So (laughs) you're even even now. You're even Um, now. Look, I find the other side's argument on this point just horribly muddled. I just don't get and I'm not trying to be cute here. I really don't get the logic that says It's really a small deal. It doesn't really affect many people. But, damn it, it should be abolished uh, because it's a big problem, and it causes all this unemployment. Those both can't be right. They're logically inconsistent. To me, it's Congress's way of saying we're not going to let the market drive wages down on our lowest-wage workers to privation level wages. We don't want to be Hong Kong. We don't want to be Mexico. We don't want to slide down the – In economics terms, we don't want to slide down the demand curve the way our our opponents would like us to. Now, the reason to think that's a bad idea is if it has the negative job loss effects, if it actually distorts the economy in ways that our opponents
2: worry about and claim. Let me let Russell Roberts. The research
0: says it does not. Russell Roberts.
2: There's a subtlety here, and and it's a nice rhetorical flourish here, but I think the argument is is that when we say it's relatively small, we're not saying it's unimportant. We're saying it's difficult to measure. It's difficult to tease out the independent effects when many things are happening at the same time. So as a result, when some states are doing well, they raise the minimum wage, and therefore it's hard to figure out what the independent effect is of what's going on underneath. But my question for you is since you reject – the logic that we made. And you say it's only an empirical question. I'd like to know why you think employers over the last 30 years have relentlessly punished not through their deliberately but through their actions have relentlessly punished low-skill workers because they are relatively unattractive compared to workers outside the United States and automation. Do you really think that work that employers don't respond to economic incentives? Employers have not uh,
3: relentlessly punish low-wage workers. In fact, a period when the minimum wage was increased in 1996, the unemployment rate among low-wage workers fell to the lowest it had been in 30 years. The national unemployment rate fell below 4%. That was the time of welfare reform. And and hundreds of thousands of low-wage, poorly educated single moms came off welfare, got into the labor market, and with the complementary boost of the minimum wage and a higher EITC, poverty rates fell very steeply. I'll tell you why employers fight against the minimum wage, because it cuts into their profits.
0: And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater in turn. Our motion is abolish the minimum wage. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Jared Bernstein, a senior fellow at the Center
3: on Budget and Policy Priorities. The almost 90% of Americans earning less than $24,000 a year who support raising the minimum wage. I don't hear an argument from the other side as to why they're wrong and to why they would uh, uh, support, uh, in the interest of their freedom, abolishing a minimum wage that 90% of them support. Now Earlier, Russ said something about nobody's mind being changed. That's actually not true true that a lot of people's minds don't get changed. But uh, in fact, this research that we've been talking about, particularly these experimental designs where you can really make pretty fine granular comparisons, have changed some minds. The Economist magazine now supports increasing the minimum wage. They didn't used to. Bloomberg News, Crane's New York Business, which is very much a a business, a journal. Um, The Costco CEO, the Starbucks CEO, uh, even Mitt Romney Mitt Romney during the Republican campaign said we should index the minimum wage to inflation, not abolish it, index to it, which, by the way, makes sense from – I think he was thinking like a business guy. Uh, what, what, what you don't want to see is these surprise increases uh, along the way you'd like to see it indexed. And that, by the way, is part of the president's proposal. So, yes, raise the minimum wage, index the minimum wage, vote against, vote no on abolishing the minimum wage. It is a cruel – far out of the mainstream idea, whose time has not come and never will. Thank you, Jared Bernstein. Our motion is abolish the minimum wage.
0: And here to summarize his position in support of this motion to abolish, Russell Roberts,
2: a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. In September of 2011, the governor of American Samoa traveled 7,000 miles to testify for five minutes in front of Congress. He begged Congress to stop increasing the minimum wage in American Samoa, a process that had begun in 2007 and was scheduled to increase until it reached the U.S. minimum of seven hundred twenty five. dollars In 2009, employment on American Samoa fell 19%. That's because employment in the tuna canning industry, which was a third of their jobs, had fallen 55%. The governor of American Samoa, who came to testify, blamed that collapse on the minimum wage. And here's a quote from him. His testimony, we are watching our economy burn down. We know what to do to stop it. We need to bring the aggressive wage costs decreed by the federal government under control. Our job market is being torched. Our businesses are being depressed. Our question is this. How much does our government expect us to suffer? I have the same question for those who support the minimum wage here in the United States. How much do you expect the least skilled among us to suffer? Right now, there are people within a few blocks of where we're sitting who cannot find work simply because their skills are not worth $7.25 an hour, why would you condemn those men and women to a wage of zero? Give the least skilled among us the chance they deserve. Abolish the minimum wage. Thank you, Russell Roberts. Our motion is abolish the minimum wage and here to speak against the motion
0: to abolish Karen Kornblue. She is the former U.S. Ambassador for the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development.
4: Um, I want to say a few things. One, abolishing the minimum wage would hurt real people and real kids. A third of those uh, who would be hurt are parents. Uh, One-tenth are single parents. Uh, More women than men would be hurt. Fifty-five percent of those who benefit from the minimum wage are female. Minimum wage laws do not seem to affect employment very much. Studies suggest that other factors, such as the overall state of the economy, how local industries are doing, matter a lot more for employment than the level of the minimum wage does. Abolishing the minimum wage would hurt inequality, it would make it worse, and it would hurt social mobility. It would make it harder for children of low-income families to get ahead. This is very personal for me. My grandmother was a single parent. She raised four kids. Uh, Fortunately, she had the minimum wage at that point. It had become the law of the land, and she was able to send her kids uh, to school. I'd like the single mom of today to have the opportunity to uh, keep her family together, get her kids through school. Uh, We should restore the American dream. We should not undermine it. We should not abolish the minimum wage.
0: Thank you, Karen Cornblue. That's our motion, abolish the minimum wage, and here to summarize his position in support of the motion to abolish, James Dorn, Vice President for Academic Affairs at the Cato Institute.
1: Markets don't lead to privation. Markets lead to prosperity. Historical evidence shows this. A Mexican immigrant came over to the United States not too long ago. Uh, he couldn't get a job because he was illegal, probably, uh, but he did get a job eventually in San Francisco. At below minimum wage, from a Chinese in a Chinese laundry, he worked there for a couple of years. Then he went to Georgia. He worked in a slaughterhouse at a, low, rel, a little bit higher wage rate. And now he owns a chain of Mexican restaurants in Georgia. He had a dynamic and a dream to come here to find an opportunity. If he would have obeyed the law and the employer obeyed the law, he would have never had that opportunity. The minimum wage decreases opportunities for low-skilled workers in low-income families. We need to abolish the minimum wage, not increase it. There's a better way to help the poor than the minimum wage.
0: Thank you. And that concludes our closing statements and round three of this debate. And now it's time to learn which side you feel argued the best. We have asked you to vote twice on this motion, abolish the minimum wage. You have heard the arguments. You have voted twice. The team that has changed the most of your minds in terms of percentage points moved will be declared our winner. Here are the results of the preliminary vote. Before the debate on abolish the minimum wage, 21% were for the motion, for abolishing the minimum wage. 58% were against. 21% were undecided. Those are the first results. Now, the second results. We're going to go first to the team that is arguing for the motion. Their second vote is 26%. That went from 21% to 26%. They picked up five percentage points. That's the number to beat. The team against the motion, their first vote was 58%. The second vote was 67%. They went up seven percentage points. That's enough to make them the winner. The team arguing against the motion to abolish the minimum wage has been declared our winner. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. Intelligence Squared U.S. is supported by the Rosencrantz Foundation. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Chris Kamakawa is researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. To hear the full unedited version, visit npr.org forward slash intelligence squared.